Please rise as you are able for the reading of God's word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you and be with you on this morning. Uh, I, I will tell you, I was pretty excited when I saw my name show up on the preaching schedule uh, when it was Sunshine Homecoming Sunday. Uh, this is one of my favorite Sundays to be here, and uh, we are so glad you guys are home. And I just want to encourage everybody, be here at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, it is a special, special evening uh, for the Homecoming concert, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. I know we all are. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we have been exploring a series that we call Core Values, where we have been looking at uh, the principles that make us who we are as a church here at Brentwood United Methodist Church, that ground us in our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So just to recap a little bit. So far, we have looked at what the ministry of all believers means. That's one of our core values. We have looked at what it means to be Christ-centered. That's another of our core values. And then last week, we looked at how we always have to remain teachable and open to God's instruction. That is our third core value. And this morning, uh, I am very uh, glad to be presenting to you our fourth core value, which is the impact that we can have on the world by being risk-takers. Risk-takers. For the gospel, but I will tell you a little a little secret here. Um, I have found it a little humorous and ironic uh, all week that I am the one that was uh, assigned to preach on the value of risk taking, because of all of our church values, this is the one I probably struggle with the most. Now, it's not a struggle of agreeing with the value. In fact, I wholeheartedly think that that, uh, we have been called uh, and defined to be risk takers here in this context. And it completely lines up with our calling in the gospel. Uh, We have defined, just so you know, we have defined risk taking for us as this. Through spirit-led and team-based discernment, we will take risks for the sake of the mission. Yes, I agree with this 100% intellectually. This sounds like a great idea for like other people to do. Because I'll be honest with you, just me personally in my life, I am not much of a risk taker. 
It's just not who I am. Now, there are some of you out, out there, I know you're here this morning, that you have risk-taking just sort of built into your DNA. You, you don't feel alive unless you are on the edge of something big, sometimes literally on the edge of something big. You, you don't feel fully alive unless everything that you do, your work, your play, everything in your life has some sort of thrill involved, some sort of risk that is a part of it. I, on the other hand, and, and this is absolutely true, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit it uh, here to you all this morning. I, on the other hand, did not ride a roller coaster until I was 20 years old. And, and to be honest, the only reason I rode that roller coaster, I was chaperoning a youth trip and a seventh grade girl shamed me into getting on that roller coaster with her. I mean, you cannot say no when that is the case. Uh, I just don't like risk that much. I, I prefer like quiet afternoons on the beach with a book. I like observing nature, not challenging it to a duel. I am good really with like a top speed of five miles over the speed limit. I'm gonna get where I'm going. I, why risk? I like low cost indexed mutual funds. I just am not a big risk taker. And so to be a part of a church where to do work for and, and in a community of faith that has in their very value system that we strive through spirit-led and team-based discernment to take risks for the mission. Sometimes that has been a challenge for me. And it might be a challenge for some of you too. And so I, as I was preparing for this sermon and I was thinking and praying over what I might can learn about being a better risk taker in my own life, I've come to realize some of the things that Christian risk taking might mean for me. And hopefully this morning we can all learn a little bit about this together. You see, what I have come to realize about risk taking in the church is that it is different than risk taking in the world. So risk-taking in the world, in just a general sense, here's what I think it involves. It involves wagering today's resources for tomorrow's gains. It's when we take our limited resources of time, money, energy, and we make decisions with those resources to use them in a way so that hopefully we'll have more of them tomorrow or next year or next decade. And, and this is prudent risk-taking. There's nothing wrong with it. We, we sacrifice our time and our energy today so that we can build a business or our career that will, that will support our family years into the future. We, we, we put our money that we could spend today and go out and enjoy, but we, we use it and put it in accounts that will be interest bearing over time so that we'll have more of it tomorrow. Now it might happen that we lose everything. We could lose all of it. That's the risk. But if we prudently manage it, if we steward it, we hope that doesn't happen. Now that's risk-taking in the world. But risk-taking in the church, it's similar, but, but there's a, a slight and yet crucial difference. And it's this. In the church, we wager today's resources for kingdom gains. And that's an important distinction. And here's why, because those kingdom gains, that might be a benefit that we never see on this side of the resurrection. We might never see it. We, we give our money to missions all over the world and, and we might never understand the impact that those have on people. We give our time to be with the lost and the broken and the sick 
And we risk because we might not see them healed in this life. We go on choir tours across the country every single year and we might never know that on that one afternoon there was this one lyric of this one song that someone heard and it it made an impact on them and a decade down the road they're doing something completely different with their lives than they otherwise would have done. That's risk-taking for the kingdom. It's the belief here in the church that we have that the trust and the risk of one follower of Jesus Christ, just one, might change the entire world. Now, if you ask the risk-taking community of, of our culture and of the world, they would say, that is ridiculous. Why would you do that? Why would you risk so much for a benefit that you might never see? And, and see the risk averse part of me, it kind of thinks about it and it goes, yeah, that makes sense. What, right. Why would we do that? Why would I do that? Why would I ask you to do all of that? Because it makes no logical sense. And so the question that we really have to grapple with this morning is do we as individuals, do we as a community have the measure of faith that it takes to be risk takers for the gospel. And I think the story that we heard from scripture teaches us a little something about that this morning. So I I love this uh, story from the gospel of Matthew, the, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. It is one of the most distinct and, and powerful miracle stories in all of the gospel. It's powerful for many reasons. For, for one, it is the miracle that defines Jesus, not just as a teacher and not just as a healer, but as the son of God, both human and divine. So theologically, this is a very important miracle for us to understand. There have been a lot of stories through history of people who claim to be miracle healers. There have been great teachers throughout uh, many disciplines and faiths all over the world. But to grapple with the meaning of Jesus means that you have to grapple with a man who could walk on water. There's no sleight of hand here. To believe in scripture means that we believe in Jesus as both human and divine. So it's a foundational story for our our belief. But this is also a story, I think, that speaks very powerfully to us through some very ancient and deep beliefs in our culture and in our lives. Let me explain. So in ancient Jewish religion, the sea or the waters were often connoted as chaos or as threats. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. You you remember from the very beginning in Genesis 1, chapter 2, there's chaos and there's darkness and God's spirit moves across what? The waters. It's where creation comes from. Uh, you, You might remember that it is water that wipes humanity off the face of the earth, except for one follower of God, Noah, who builds an ark and saves creation. And you might remember that, that to be saved from the Egyptians, it, would, it was Moses who led the Israelite people through what? Water. And in all of these cases, water was symbolized threat, Water was the chaos. And if you're thinking, well, that's just an ancient old belief. Well, I would encourage you to read Moby Dick or rewatch the movie Jaws. There is something still deep in us that says, don't go in the water. 
We just don't trust it. And so when we read this story from Matthew's gospel, the first thing we notice is that there is something terrifying, fundamentally terrifying about the situation that the disciples find themselves in. Why? Because they are on the water. And do you note who's with them? Not Jesus. They are by themselves. Jesus puts them in a boat. He shoves them off. He says, I'll catch up with you later, guys. They are out there alone in the middle of the darkness. Now, let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where, where you have been asked to, to give a, a great risk and you have found suddenly that those you were relying on were nowhere to be found, that you were alone, then you can put yourself in the shoes of the disciples in this story. They're out there with only a small boat to protect them. They have risked and now they are suffering. But, and here's the first turn in the story. It turns out they weren't alone. Early in the morning, the text says, they saw a figure walking on the waters towards them. Now they think at first it's a ghost. I can just kind of imagine this thought process. They're like, okay, first we're alone. Then there's this storm and all we've got is this little boat. Now there's a ghost. Great. Perfect. But then they hear the voice. And it's the voice of their master saying, take heart. Do not be afraid. Now, I think this is the part of the story where our modern minds don't often do us any favors in understanding the meaning of this story. Because when we, as modern people, wrestle with what it means for a man to walk on water, the, the first thing we think of is this completely breaks all of the laws of nature. You know, if, if we jump into a lake, we are going to sink down into the lake. But, but this is not probably the first thought that ancient hearers of this story would have had. For them, when they, when they heard, when they, when they read about Jesus walking on the water, it wasn't some story about a man who could defy gravity. It was a story about a God who overcomes chaos. And so maybe this is one of the first important lessons that we have to take about being risk takers as individuals and as a church is that it's not that we're ever asking the church to defy the laws of nature. It's that we are trusting in a God who makes things right in a chaotic world. I had a friend a while back. Um, he had a conversion experience with Jesus Christ late in his life. And he told me that for decades and decades, he just couldn't believe what the church was selling him. All of this supernatural stuff. It just didn't fit in with the way, the logical way that he understood the world. He thought, he thought all of that was just sort of a mythology and just sort of children's stories. And then everything in his life started to fall apart. Uh, multiple tragedies visited him. A death in his family, financial ruin. There was addiction issues. And it was only then through the love of a risk-taking church that loved him, that took the risk to love him, that he came to realize that the church wasn't trying to sell him some childish stories. Through all of that, the church was trying to show him what life looked like in the midst of death. 
what beauty can come from ashes, what order can come out of chaos. That's the bigger meaning. And then, of course, there's Peter. You you can't tell the story of Jesus walking on water, and you can't talk about risk-taking without talking about Peter. Peter hears the voice of Jesus. He immediately wants to go out to him on the water. Command me to come out on the water with you, Lord, he says. Now, there is a lot of psychologizing and philosophizing that we can do about Peter's decisions, but that's not where I want to take this this morning. What I would like to look at is the way Peter's risk-taking affected the people around him. What, what effects can risk-taking have on the people that are around us? Now, you'll notice in the first half of the, the story, the disciples are terrified. They are frightened. But then a shift occurs. As Peter is saved from the wind and the waves, as Jesus reaches down his hand and pulls him out of the water, note the, the change in posture of the disciples. The text says, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Peter's risk moves others from fear to worship. You see, I think the mistake that we can make as individuals, but oftentimes the church as a whole can sometimes make is that we think that, well, the world will only worship Jesus if they see our success if they just see how much we can do, how big we can become, how influential we can be, how successful we can be. But what the story teaches us really is that in fact, it is our failures that help others see Christ in us. It is when we are weak that others see Christ is strong. The point of the story is not to look at Peter and see how great he was. Wow, what courage. I mean, he took five steps across the water, more than any other steps any mortal person has ever taken across water. That's not the point. The point, I think, is to look at Peter and see how fast he sank. And then to see a savior who lifted him out. This is the the simple beauty of the gospel of Christian risk-taking. When, when we risk, when we put it all on the line, we have the assurance that Jesus Christ has already saved us from the deepest chaos life can ever throw at us. As we grow in God's grace, it means we are called to give more and more of ourselves, maybe even give everything. And I think, I think... When the world sees that kind of risk-taking in us, that's when people start to say, truly he is the son of God. I'll close with one story. Earlier this year, back on the first Sunday in February, there was a a special church service at a congregation up in New Jersey, St. Stephen's Roman Catholic Church in, in Kearney, New Jersey. And it was a special service because it was commemorating a very special event that happened 75 years ago this year. So on February 4th, 1943, the USAT Dorchester, it was a military transport ship, 
was torpedoed by German submarines about 100 miles off the coast of Greenland. The ship was carrying 902 U.S. service members and civilian workers. It took 18 minutes for the ship to sink. Only 230 people survived. It it remains one of the worst naval tragedies in U.S. history. Now, after the torpedo hit and everyone below deck was trying to make their way up to to the top deck so that they could try and get a spot on one of the few undamaged lifeboats that remained. Now, among those that were on that top deck were four chaplains, four military chaplains. Rabbi Alexander Good, Reverend Clark Poling of the Reformed Church in America, Reverend John Washington, a Roman Catholic priest, and Reverend George Fox, a Methodist pastor. And as the decks were being flooded with waters and with panicked soldiers, those chaplains lined up along the deck and they started handing out life vests to the soldiers to save as many as they could. And then when all of those life vests were gone, those four chaplains took off their life vests and gave them to someone else. And some of the soldiers that made it onto those lifeboats and that were rescued said that one of the last things they saw as the ship sank were those four chaplains on the deck of that ship with arms linked, praying as the ship went down into the chaotic waters. And so on the first Sunday of February, every year at St. Stephen's, there's a memorial service for those four chaplains because St. Stephen's was the church that Father Washington served before he volunteered for the armed services. And every year, but especially this year, the 75th anniversary, the sanctuary is filled with people. Some of them driving hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles to come and to honor and to remember and give thanks to God for four chaplains that risked everything and gave everything for others. You see, the world thinks it knows what a hero is. It it thinks a hero is a conqueror or a hero is a, a fighter or a hero is a winner. But the truth is the world does not need more heroes like that. The world needs more heroes like this. Risk takers And we are called to be risk takers for the gospel. Where what we risk is love. Founded in Jesus Christ, a love for others that we believe will one day change the world. I'm risk averse, but if I'm gonna take a risk, this is the one I want to take. Will you join me? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.